Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. That's Yen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. And today on the podcast, Yen's, you know, we felt that one interview just wasn't enough. We were going to bring it to. Yeah. Two, you know, if we can cram that much high-quality content into a pod, might as well. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we're going to have some music. Last episode didn't have any... Uh, live concert we'll bring you some of that we're bringing the goods today yeah how do you feel about that yeah yeah so if any of you guys uh you know felt a little left out last time um we're we're bringing it this time around yes so uh, so i'll tell you who we have on the show this is we have a band called simo and uh and also uh this experience uh called stroll down penny lane uh, it's going to be coming to uh, Oakland in just a couple weeks, so we'll tell you about that here in a, a bit. But I guess it might have something to do with uh, some Beatles. Could be. Penny Lane, hint, hint. Yes, yes. So uh, before we get into that, Jens, um, how's your week been? Week has been good. Uh, it's. I'd like to say it's been relaxing. It has been relaxing, but it has involved a lot of manual labor out in the yard. And I don't want to bore anybody with that. I'm just, you know, back here moving dirt around uh, so we don't have to, you know, really expand on that because it's not too exciting. It sounds really exciting. Yeah. But the good news is um, this weekend has gone on for much longer than weekends normally seem like they're going on. Why is that? I don't know why that is. It's just not going to be one of those weekends where I say to myself, what the where did the weekend go? You know, it's like, yeah. I just got off work and now I got to go back to work. Where was, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like, wow, man, that was like a little vacation. Nice. It's a good feeling. You feel accomplished. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like I got stuff done. I feel like it wasn't crazy scorching hot outside, you know, or I wasn't able to do that. Wait till next weekend. Wait till next weekend. I know. And previous years it's been like that, but yeah. this is a much better more mild year when it's so. getting hot now it's it'll get hot for a day or two and then cool down really quickly right away and then it looks like that's what's going to happen next weekend too so i hope so i hope it just stays cool yeah. or it gets hot when i'm not here uh-huh. you know something yes. like that yens we just had father's day did you call your father i did i did i got lucky um in that i did not forget to call him good good and uh, the reason i didn't forget to call him is because he's a big uh soccer fan yeah so on the morning of father's day is when um germany was playing are you watching soccer i mean i know we we went to celebrate your birthday one year and watch soccer and have years and i you know soccer's not really my thing I mean, I just can't be, get behind. Oh, gosh, you got it on. You I've got, got it, on. it on the big TV. Okay. I, you I, knocked, and I paused it. I'm sorry to interrupt this high-scoring game, which is exactly what I was going to say <laughs> is my problem with soccer, by the way. No, what, lack of points? Spoiler alert. Port, I don't know. Where, where's Portugal and Spain? Portugal and Spain. This happened a few days ago. Tied. One minute and 59 seconds in the defense of soccer. This game just started. Okay, it just started. But anyway, it proves I've point is that there's no scoring that is exactly what i was going to say is you can go a whole game without scoring there sometimes there's extra time just on the end just because they feel like just it because, and why just, not? just because why not like nothing's and, happened maybe and, if we add some minutes something and, will happen and then even when like a world cup you can end a game and no one wins like at, at the end of the game right like and everybody's 
burned thousands of calories, which is great. I mean, I'm all for the running part of it, but, <laughs> but it's actually, a great workout. But actually, as far as the sport is concerned, I just don't get it. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'm, I actually tried to get my daughter into soccer, you know, this past month. Um, and, um, and actually her grandfather, um, on her mom's side gave her a soccer, soccer net and a soccer ball for her wow. birthday. So we were kicking the mm-hmm. ball yesterday and everything. So I'm, you know, I'm fine with the athletic part of it as far as a sport, Makes no fucking sense to me. <laughs> well, let me tell you, soccer is like chess. Okay, great. It's exciting. Yes. So if you like so chess, chess, at least at the end, someone's going to win. Yeah, this is true. The king must die. Yes, right? someone is going to win eventually in chess. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing with soccer, it is like chess. So you have to have patience because it's all about getting everybody into the right position so that a chance can you know, uh, to set up a possibility that there might be a goal. And that takes forever uh-huh. to do. So if you look at the detail of what happens in a soccer game, and the field is huge, that's, by the, the way. that's the exciting part. This yeah. field is huge. Like it's, it's, it's really is big. It, is it bigger than a, a football field? Like more than a hundred yards? You know what? It's either the, wider and shorter or yeah. it's not as wide and longer. One of the it, two. It looks I wider. I, I, so I imagine it's longer, but I don't know. Yeah. I that know. is a fact. I, don't know. Um, I, I couldn't tell you that. I don't know. We're going to have to look it up while you're telling me how much you love, uh, love soccer. I love soccer so much that I don't pay attention to it except once every four years when the World Cup comes around. So every now and then I, I pay attention to the European Cup, I guess. Um, like the whole Iceland thing was super exciting because who even knew they had a soccer team, right? Yeah. So it's, so it's a hundred, <laughs> it is a hundred meters. Is a, is a meter bigger than your 100 to 110 meters long? How is a meter bigger than the yard? I forget which one's bigger. I failed about, math. About this, this thing. <laughs> this, this is You're really bad. By 70 to 80 yards wide. Um, so it's pretty I wide. I know my metric, I think, better than I know my empirical. I don't know how far okay. a yard is. And I can get behind the, you know, the bandwagon, I guess, because I, I do that for basketball also when the Warriors are in. Yeah, the, the playoffs every year, mm. um, and uh, you know I, I get on board with that and get really excited and watch those games. So right, one meter is just over one uh, yard, one point zero nine four yards. So um, so it's actually a little smaller in length than uh, than may are equivalent to a football field. Very similar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, to answer your previous question, the reason I remembered to call my dad so early that day is because he uh, has been following soccer his entire life. He's a big fan, um, and he uh, was excited about the Germany game at 8 a.m. in the morning, um, and Germany's defending champions. They won it last time around. So... um, so you caught him in the So I, and... yeah. So I, I had these grand plans of getting up at like seven in the morning and going someplace and watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recorded it just in case I, you know, didn't wake up on time. So I woke up about an hour after the game started and I was really happy that I started recording it. Uh-huh. Were you, you that, <laughs> that first hour really high scoring or you missed a lot? In uh, you know what? The first 35 minutes of that game was really good. The rest was of it, it was totally forgettable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awful game. And so your dad was but, watching it. Also. So, yeah. So the first thing I did is I, is I turned on the TV, started watching it, and then I called him, you know, after the first goal, and that was good. And I felt like, okay, good. I didn't forget Father's Day. 
Yeah. I called my dad, and he was in the middle of watching golf. Oh. Uh, actually, that's his his part. And his thing, huh? Yeah, that uh, he's watching. And I guess the championship was I had just a couple minutes left when I uh, when he was watching it. And so he called me back. I was at the park with the kids. Um, and uh, and so I talked to him. And uh, and actually, the PGA is going to be coming to Napa, you know, uh, which is, you know, pretty close to my house. Um, and so... Uh, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, we talked about it a little bit. I was like, do you want to go see the PGA when it's, when it's here, you know? Um, and, uh, and he's, he's been indecisive and he kind of was still a little bit, he's like, I don't know, you know, I haven't been playing that much. Uh, you know, I, I get out like once a week maybe. And I'm like, oh, well you don't have to play. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> I didn't know if you had some misconception you'd be playing, but we're just actually watching. And <laughs> but, Where does the play part come in again? <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, I didn't we went on to talk about the musicians that were playing like Billy Idol. And he's like, yeah, he, he sucks. I'm, he's, uh, I was like, yeah, I heard, I heard that actually. Uh, my girlfriend went and saw him at Bottle Rock and said he wasn't very good. And he's like, yeah, because he's old. Mm. The conversation went from there. And I'm like, hey, there's some good old musicians. He's like, no, they're not. Uh-huh. <laughs> How the Rolling Stones that is. And, you know, and I was like, Sammy Hagar is going to be there too. Uh-huh. Which one's he? You know, <laughs> Van Halen. He's like, yeah, I wasn't a fan of them. So, Well, I've, I've got to say, I mean, I, th- I think Dylan is still good because you still cannot understand anything he's saying. Yeah. You couldn't understand anything yeah. he was saying in the beginning, and you still can't understand consistent. anything he's saying. So he's consistent. Consistently. Yeah. <laughs> consistently the same. Not a good yeah, vocalist. Not saying good or bad, just yeah. the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so so that was that. And then I took the kids to a pirate festival, actually. Fun. Who doesn't um, like pirates? I know. Right? Did I send you the pictures? Of, uh, no. Uh, I, I had didn't. no idea, man. Tell me, where was idea. this, and how many pirates were there? Did Don, oh, there, was, there were a lot. Johnny Depp show up? Yeah. <laughs> Could have very well been there. Uh, I mean, there's one that looked like him, but yeah, it was in Vallejo on the waterfront. Uh-huh. And, uh, Wait, um, Vallejo has water? Yeah, it has a ferry. Have you ever heard of the ferry? Oh, ferry? Vallejo, right. Oh, that's how. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of Fairfield. Yeah, well, they're both junky towns. <laughs> but, uh, but Vallejo, the best part of it is at the water where, you know, you're not going to get mugged or anything. So. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so I mean I figured ah, it'd just be something fun to do with the kids and uh, so I took them out to that. We were in the minority, not being dressed as pirates. Like, mm. It's a from what I read. It was the biggest pirate gathering in the United States mm. or something like that. So yeah, you know, got pictures with the the kids with some you know some pirates. The guy's like six eight. Oh, that uh-huh. guy's like a real pirate. He's uh, not he's not dressed up as a pirate. Oh, he's a real pirate. And there's this. And that guy's like a real Viking. <laughs> These guys are legit. Holy this isn't just like, shit. hey, I'll put on a pirate hat and call myself a pirate. These people, there's a lot of legit Did, people who, this is their life. This guy just got off the set of like some Viking movie. He looks like Hagar the Horrible. Yeah. Remember that comic? He, like, he got the role because he is a Viking and yeah. he... He drives topless with his Viking hat on his like Harley or something. This is, and he dubs. He does like Christmas Santa on his motorcycle too. All right, that's who that guy is. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a pirate that looked like Santa too, which uh, <laughs> I don't know. I had a hard time getting my son to get pictures with them because he was freaked out. By I him, bet. But, oh my god. My, my yeah. daughter got a picture with the mermaid though. Like they, they had mermaids that, that oh, swam underwater. Um, they swam underwater. Like there was water. Yeah, they're in a tank. And like they'd play with stuff underwater and just be all elegant. And oh, stuff. I thought like, you meant like, like Vallejo has a beach. Oh and no, they no, they're not the, getting in the Vallejo water. Like in this North is, Bay. This is shipped water. in water, I'm sure. So <laughs> this is like from the spring. Uh, I'm sure it's, like, this it is a clean. Bunch of like, their, their eyes were open in this water. <laughs> they could. You know. Oh, okay. 
so yeah. crystal clear you can see right through right exactly did they have real tails right. i mean were they legit i mean yeah the tails were real yes they're they were that real is sweet yeah yeah she had a great time and the son had a good time as well my daughter went in one of those uh bu- like water like a bu- it's a, like bubble a water you, bubble yeah water bubble you get you get into the, the bubble and you're on a pool of water and uh, and it was pretty cool like i mean she got to here's a <laughs> video hilarious she just rolled over and oh, over. Oh, fun. Yeah. So wait a minute. So there's like a zipper or how do you it's, get in there? Yeah, yeah. They zip you into it and it's like fill it with air with like a, you know, a vacuum like tank. So is it pressurized? Like Yeah, I think so. Like did her, did her ears pop no, when they pressurized can, the I, thing? I think they can breathe. Um, <laughs> I think there's a way for them to be able to breathe. I don't know. I don't know the mechanics. And if you leave the kid in there all day, does the air run out like does the bubble shrivel i don't know the thing says four to five minutes uh so i told my daughter she could either do the zip line or uh or the the bubble because each were ten dollars and i'm like Mm. i don't want to be spending tons of money at this thing i just want to have get out and have fun and see some you know characters Mm. and and that sort of thing and uh and so the zip line you'd be done in 15 seconds um and then be like we the end you yeah. know, the bubble, it said four to five minutes. So she, she was leaning more towards that way, so she went that. And it ended up being like 15 minutes that she got in there because there were not um, a lot of other kids in line or anything. Yeah. They weren't, they were they doing weren't, it they weren't trying to push people through yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's nice. So yeah. she had fun. It was a good Father's Day weekend. Cool. Awesome. I have never been in one of those bubbles. I don't think that was a thing when I was a kid, or maybe I was just deprived. I think you might be too big now. I might be too big now. That's the problem. Unless they made those for adults. Do they make those for adults? Uh, like really huge ones? I mean, they do. I've, because Wayne Coyne from Flaming Lips would do that for uh, for a while. Like, I mean, uh, at his concerts. I don't think he does anymore, but he'd. I saw him do it once. Um, uh-huh. uh, and, and he'd walk out on the crowd in it and everything. Uh, uh, Talking about bubbles and soccer, wasn't there a game? I think this must have been some sort of joke, but... Um, I'll pause myself. That is really cool. Okay, so Wayne is in a bubble. Yes. He is standing up straight with his arm raised up over his head. So this has got to be about seven or eight feet, and he's still not touching the top of the bubble. So maybe there is one that fits you. I don't know. This is huge. That's really cool. So he's, it's like stage diving, except he's in the bubble, and he's standing up, and people are just moving the bubble around. Like crowd surfing. Crowd surfing, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So there was this game, I swear I saw this on YouTube, and um, it was either like soccer or football. I think it might have been more like soccer. Uh, so I, I believe people were kicking a ball, right? Mm-hmm. But they were dressed in these massive bubble suits. Okay. So they couldn't, I mean, the bubbles yeah, were oh, so yeah, massive. Yeah, I've, seen, I've seen those sort of things before. Yeah. yeah, like people would have to slam into each other. Right, if they yeah. wanted to, if they, if, if they both were running towards the ball, the bubbles were so huge, they couldn't get the ball away from each other because it's just not right. the bubbles are too huge so the people end up like bouncing off each other and bouncing Throw around some on the beer field. in the mix and you got a lot of fun there yeah that's hilarious yeah i think soccer professional soccer would be so much better <laughs> i think so if that's what it, it was something. like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god oh, freaking hilarious uh, good times. Well, let's um, let's get into let's start with the um, you know, the stroll down memory, the Penny Lane actually. Uh, before we get again a little bit later in the podcast, we'll get to Simo. 
Um, we're going to start with Stuart on Penny Lane. I got a chance to talk to Joe Anastasi, uh, who uh, is the, uh, the lead singer. This is um, a group that is kind of celebrating Paul McCartney and uh, uh, all of his music spanning from uh, before the Beatles to the Beatles to Wings to solo stuff uh, and everything in between. Um, for uh, two nights only, uh, they're they're going to be playing at Bellevue in Oakland, um, July sixth and seventh. We're going to bring um, Joe in and, and hear about that um, and all the work that went into that. So let's uh, let's bring him on in. Sweet. Yeah. Hey, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, thanks for taking the time to to chat a little bit about Stroll Down Penny Lane. Um, Let's start. Let's start from the beginning. I mean, we'll, we'll go farther back, but as far as starting at the beginning with "Stroll Down Penny Lane," uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about how this project came together? I know it was kind of a painstaking project that took a, lo- a lot of time for you, right? Yes, it has. Um, you know, the, I think the initial genesis was I started uh, creating a film in 21 films that um, tell the story while the uh, a song is being performed. Excellent. So, uh, so that's so that's kind of where it began. And so, how did it develop into uh, this this project with uh, Winter and Mike Sugar and uh, Mark Abbott? Well, uh, Winter was a recording engineer on um, the initial recordings, and as we got further along, he became enamored with the project, and I then discovered he was an excellent guitarist. Um, and uh, then Winter identified uh, Mark Abbott as the drummer and, and Mike Sugar as the bassist, and the first day Mike sh- sh- showed up in our studio, he said, you know, um, I have this I have this thing that I play, which was it turned out to be an NF electric bass, which is kind of a five string electric bass and also um, can kind of double as a cello. And then from there we began to identify that, oh well, we can start doing Eleanor Rigby. We can put use the uh, electric cello on yesterday. We can start figuring out arrangements for string parts. Dividing up the the voice lines between uh, the electric cello and, and putting some of the voices on an electric guitar and some of the voices on on the acoustic guitar. Okay, and uh, and would are um, are those three as as big uh, McCartney fans as you are? Well, I'll tell you what, Winter um, has, um, he, he was very much less aware as we began with this project. And uh, since then, he's, he's just cut, kind of got sucked down his rabbit hole and has become more and more enamored and uh, appreciates more and more the music. And now I would say he's uh, a great fan. Um, and so uh, I've heard him say that this has been a kind of a pivotal change in, in his perception and, and uh, 
and um, it, and in his devotion to music. Whereas you know, Mark Abbott has been a lifelong uh, Beatles fan from and Paul McCartney fan from the beginning. Okay, and so tell me about where where your history with uh, with Paul McCartney and with the Beatles began. What is it something you grew up on as a, a kid? And I mean, was it kind of prevalent in your in your household? Yeah, so the, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, as a kid, um, I was younger, uh, but I had a, a sister who was a couple of years older. She had a, a record player, and she had a, a, her bedroom was next door to mine, and, and um, I'd start hearing, uh, you know, Bobby Vinton songs and um, you know things like that. Um, but then the, 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 when the when the Beatles music started coming across, uh, on the, it become it became part of. Uh, you know, a real big impetus in, in my life. And of course, um, all of America was affected uh, as the Beatles came in in 1964 on the Ed Sullivan show. So there was kind of a cultural um, transformation for kids in, in the United States um, um, uh, during that time frame. And so, yeah, so it's, it's kind of been in my DNA since then. And and so, kind of, was that like one of the points where you're like, "Hey, this is something I, you know, I want to do with with my life." When when did you pick up the uh, the guitar yourself? Well, I picked it up in college, uh, so this has been a long time ago, and then I set it down because I started pursuing a career to, you know, try to put some beans on the table, make some money, and, and get a career. But it was always something that I I uh, I loved, and you know, I think the thing was I saw um, I saw. Paul performing uh, in San Jose, and I'm thinking this must have been around 2000, and I thought, wow, I really love these songs, and I used to really love to play the guitar every night, um, um, uh, even, you know, in the dorm in college, and so I just decided, well, I'm going to just pick this up again, and started picking it up, and then began studying it in much more serious uh, level, and um, since then. Yeah, and and so tell me tell me about when you uh, saw Paul McCartney for that uh, that first time. Was that the only time that you've been able to see Paul McCartney live, or uh, or, or t- tell me about that experience? Well, no, I think um, I saw him in uh, gosh in Berkeley uh, uh, in the stadium, and uh, maybe it was nineteen ninety nineteen eighty nine. That'd be the first time I saw him. Um, but then um, around this, I guess it'd be the two 2000- thousand time frame when he was performing. I saw him in San Jose, a little bit closer indoors, um, and uh, that's when the the, the court uh, got struck about, like, hey, let's let's uh, let's try and pick this up again because you really love this music um, throughout your life. Yeah. So so tell me, it was a four year project that um, making Stroll Down Penny Lane, right? Actually, it's longer than that, but four years is since when um, we began with the uh, the video, the, the development of films, and the development of the recording of the, of the arrangements, and then the development of the rehearsals. Okay, so the the films kind of came first, is that right? Yeah, I think I think that's probably the genesis. Okay, and so tell me tell me about how you progressed from creating those films to kind of the next step um, in the recording and kind of building this together into something that's that you know is going to be put out there for the world uh, to see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so the, the, the notion about a uh, storytelling or the film is, well, you, the story needs to come to you, you know, you need to, 
you need to figure out what it is that you want to say. And if you're going to do it in three acts, if you will, or three parts, um, you only have three minutes or four minutes to do it. So, so I kind of stumbled on a short story um, telling form. You know, a novel if it's 70,000 words and a short story is you know, seven or 8,000 words. I need to get a story across in 200 words or 300 words. Um, uh, or if the song is a little bit longer, I might be able to go to 400 words, but no more than that because that's uh, that's all I can get across um, in this time frame without stressing the audience. And so the, you know, it's about writing, creating. What's the storyline? And what is it that strikes one um, in terms of uh, the creation of the story? Um, and with respect to the song that you're trying to tell the story about. So, so that's what is the pacing item. Is uh, it, it, these things just don't come overnight. It takes a while for the the, the germ to to um, you know to, to germinate uh, the idea, and uh, then to get it down to paper and you know listen to the recording and um, make an arrangement, um, and then then you need to pace. You need to time and pace the storytelling to the unfolding of the music itself. So here's kind of a you know the matching of of the, the unfolding of the music with the un unfolding of the story. And then you move towards the creation of the film imagery, whether or not you, uh, you know, you contract with a cinematographer, which, which I've done for many of the films, or, um, uh, you know, go out and, and acquire footage uh, or other film rights for, 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 for films to be used in the creation of, of, of the story. Yeah, and so so tell me about how the the set list that you're you're gonna do is kind of came together. Like, how do you choose what songs you want to play when there's you have I mean such an expansive catalog from from an artist. Well, we wanted to have some songs uh, that. Uh, you know, go way back to the very beginning. So if we're going to roll back um, uh, the time, we want to go back to before the Beatles. What it was that really that sparked uh, John and, and Paul and, and, and how, how it was that they came together. So that brings us all the way back to Little Richard and Long Tall Sally and, um, um, and Kansas City and AAA. So we have, we, we start, we, we have to include some of those to tell that part of the story. And then of course you go through the, you know, the Beatles, uh, there's several hundred songs that the Beatles developed, um, and we picked um, um, some of them. Okay, so so let's say there's ten or twelve of those, and then we also I've I've selected songs that Paul wrote when the Beatles were breaking up, and then also songs that he's written with Wings, and then songs that he's written after the formation of Wings. So you know he's had this storied career that has you know. Some say over 500 songs. So we we're, we're selecting from that uh, something that gives a, the representation of this man's creativity over his life. Yeah, and uh, and are you a fan of kind of all iterations of? I mean, all of his the parts of his career, like from you know, um, from before Beatles to Beatles to Wings to uh, you know his solo stuff as well. Are you are you kind of a fan across the board? Well. Uh, I, I, generally, yes. I mean, there's some albums, there's some songs that that, that that don't move me, but there's others that move me greatly, and they come from all different spans of his career and his time span. So, I think the answer to your question is yes. Excellent, excellent. And so, tell me about uh, Professor uh, Stomp and Splat. Where did that come from? 
Well, I I, um, I thought about well if I was going to be developing a narrator um, to to this, what 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 would what would that narrator be? And it turned out that we created or I created um, uh, one film uh, for the, the song Michelle, and it it's uh, uh, and then I uh, contracted with an uh, an animator who's in Barcelona now, but was in Tel Aviv at the time. Um, and so the animator would take his cues from the story that I wrote about the, the genesis of, of the song and some of the song structure and some of the techniques that were used and the collaboration between John and Paul. So we had this really beautiful, lovely um, uh, animation um, for for this story, for this song. Um, and then I, you know, from that I said, well, gosh, why don't we do a similar one for Golden Farmers? So I have one for that. And then I thought, well, why don't we do one for Penny Lane? And so we have one for that. And then it came to my mind, um, well, here, there's a, I can take these skills, these animation skills, and I already have the, the, the narrative storyline uh, for these. And why don't I create a series of children's books that will uh, depict the characters, depict the story, how the story, uh, how the song was uh, begun, and how the collaboration was on. Why don't I create a line um, of children's books that would um, tell these stories that would be interesting to children and um, get across the same points. And so that's, and so I came up with this idea of Professor Stompensplatt um, as the narrator. Um, and then I asked him, funny, I asked the animator that to create uh, imagery. Well, tell me, uh, let the animator's um, imagination develop what this Professor Stompensplatt would look like. So we came up with a sketch of uh, six or seven or eight different characters, you know, um, you know, from the crazy eccentric um, um, uh, types to um, uh, even a Mr. Rogers type, if you will. And um, I, I started testing it against adults. Okay, well, here's Professor Stompers, but which one of these do you like? And so I found out that adults always kind of would uh, select this eccentric-looking um, um, uh, type. And then, but then I went to um, somebody else and bring it to um, a, a kindergarten class of kids, and they handed out these pictures of, uh, think of a lineup, a police lineup, if you will, and they handed out the, 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 a sheet to each of the uh, the kids and said, all right, well, who do you like? Who who, who would you, who do you like as Professor Stompers Platt? And they all got the ch a chance to check off which one they wanted, and then we kind of tabulated the results. And they all settled in on one, one character, which was different, completely different than the character that most adults had settled on. So that that's kind of the, 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 the backstory to Professor Stompers Platt. Yeah, and uh, and so tell me, what, tell me about these kids' books that uh, that you uh, kind of created. Where could they be found? Well, the, the, it's the first draft of the first one is in is in production right now. So the the, the uh, animation has been completed for all the, the first three, um, and that's part of the show. Um, and then the children's books are being created, um, uh, one in the series, one after each other um, after the show. Nice. And as part of this uh, show as well, you've uh, chosen to play and perform a couple songs that have never been heard in concert before, you know, from Paul, Little uh, Lamb, Dragonfly, and My Old Friend. Tell me about kind of the idea to, to pull those out um, for this performance. 
Well, I was struck by this, this song, My Old Friend. Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul was doing uh, the recording of the Tug of War album on the island of Montserrat, the Isle of Montserrat. And he invited uh, some people to join him, um, and one of which was Carl Perkins. Um, uh, uh, Carl, of course, wrote Blue Suede Shoes back back in the early 60s or 50s, and it was one of the icons that Paul had um, uh, emulated when Paul was a kid. So, so here they kind of re-met, and um, there, and I got, uh, I became very interested in this story that was being told. And if you go, if you kind of research a little bit, and you see what what Carl was saying. Now, Carl has since passed, um, but what he was saying was, he, you know, as he, he had such a nice, wonderful time uh, recording with with uh, Paul um, during that time frame. Um, and then the night he was to, uh, uh, the night before he was to leave the island and return to the United States, he couldn't sleep at all. And uh, and the song came to him at nighttime. Um, and so he got up and he kind of played it. He didn't write it down, which is unusual for him, but he remembered it in the morning and he asked Paul if he could play it for him. And he, and, and he did for Paul and for Linda in the recording studio the next morning. And, um, you know, Paul had to leave the room uh, um, because it, it was he was so emotionally distraught upon hearing some of the lyrics in the song. And and, and Linda put her arm on, on Carl's shoulder and said, you know, Carl, this is, it's not about, this is not something you've done. This is about John. And John had, had died. Uh, in Manhattan, he would have been shot um, a couple of months earlier. And so, um, and one of the lines in this song that Carl wrote uh, was one of the very last uh, sentences or um, uh, lines that John had said to Paul before um, they had parted in one of their most uh, recent visits. And that's what uh, had um, affected Paul so much. And, and then later, Carl found out from Paul that John and Paul had made an agreement when they were young men that whoever passed first would send a message back to the other. And Carl was convinced after he learned all this that um, that he had, was channeling John somehow that, that, that night. And that's how this song came to him. And, um, and uh, the song is called My Old Friend, and, and uh, we performed that. And the, I guess the, the interesting thing about that song is because of that song, Paul then wrote and recorded and included on the, on the album Tug of War a song called Here Today, which is a song with, to John. Oh, wow. You know, after yeah. John had died. Yeah. And so, he, yeah, so John, so Paul's writing a song to John, answering John's song that came to Carl, and it's the same kind of a thing that happened when John wrote Strawberry Fields Forever. You know, Paul answered that song with Penny Lane, so there was a history of them doing that, and that's kind of a, that's the story um, that unfolds. We, we tell that story in the show as we perform My Old Friend. Oh, that's really cool. That's a, uh, I mean, that sounds really awesome. Um, so, so tell me about uh, th- uh, this is all going to come together uh, July sixth and seventh at the Bellevue in Oakland. Uh, tell me about how you uh, selected that venue for uh, for this whole kind of experience that you've created. 
Uh, well, we wanted a venue that would be uh, comfortable. We wanted a venue that um, uh, would become kind of home for us, uh, and they were very uh, accommodating to us as a band. Um, and so uh, that's that's number one. Number two, it's it's an elegant um, club, if you will. It was one of these private clubs that was developed in the 1920s or 30s, and it's it's kind of a, a just an, an elegant little jewel that's just off of Lake Merritt. Um, and um, it's it's a nice place to make a performance of this music that would be so similar to how you might have heard this music when the Beatles were performing in uh, 1961 or 1962 or 1963 before they really made it, you know? Yeah. So uh, the notion here would be, all right, it's not a stadium yeah, so so what's your plan for after that time you put all this work into uh into making um you know making this. So is it do you have any kind of plans down the road for for this to take it anywhere else or is that kind of still in the talks? Uh yeah, so there's several there's several pathways. Uh one would be to um, have a, a, a road show, if you will. It might be um, through California or Northern California to begin with, different communities. Um, or it could be uh, to larger venues that um, that will um, have us as, as a mini residency, if you will, uh, depending on that. Um, and then there's other venues, uh, other avenues that might uh, be open to us in terms of uh, just publishing uh, the films themselves. So so there's several path, pathways, and uh, we're exploring what is the best uh, path, um, and the audience reaction will be very informative to us. Yeah, and so as we wind out here, Joe, can you share any uh, surprises, any uh, secrets from the show? I mean, I've, I've been able to see uh, very little, you know, of, uh, of what's to come. I mean, you have that video on, on the website and everything, but, uh, but can you give us a little bit more of what, what, you're gonna, uh, what we're going to see that night? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about uh, the animation. There's going to be three films that have animation. There's going to be um, uh, there's one film, there's one song we're doing that uh, I think um, the surprise, so the performance will be the, the how how the, the the song is presented. It'll, it'll be really an audience crowd pleaser. I think I've already spoiled one thing, and so you, you can kick me, but I, I spoiled a little bit of the story about my old friend. But there's several, several of the songs have the stories that fit with the songs are just as moving as that. Um, whether it's Maybe I'm Amazed or Mole of Kintyre, there's interesting aspects to these songs. Uh, even yet, uh, the song Yesterday, you know, I think there'll be an interesting aspect to the presentation of that song about what was it that caused this song to uh, be written and the narrative line in the story, in the song. Why, why did it come out the way it came out? So there will be several of those um, reveals that I think most audiences will, will just not have been familiar with. And so in each case, then the audience will take away something more than just the performance of a song. Um, they'll take away kind of a more of a theatrical experience of, of storytelling about the arc of this man's career and the songs that, that affect us all. 
That's really awesome. That's really awesome. It sounds really cool, Joe. And I want to wish you luck in uh, in those performances that are that are coming up in in just a couple of weeks. I know you got a, I'm sure a little bit more preparing to do, but it's uh, it sounds really amazing. And I want to thank you for taking the time today to to chat about it. Okay, so thank you. And I'll just, if I can, uh, the plug would be uh, you can find a little bit about us on the, the our website, which is scrolldownpennylane.com. Of course. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Joe. Have an awesome rest of your day, and uh, um, and I look forward to hearing good things about that show, okay? All right. Thank you, then. Take All right. Care. You have a good one. Bye-bye. That was the interview with Joe from Stroll Down Penny Lane. Again, you can check them out at the Bellevue in Oakland, July 6th and 7th. Uh, seems like it's going to be a really cool show. There's a lot involved in, in that, and, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't one of those kids that grew up on the Beatles or anything like that. Uh, were you? Yeah, kind of. Uh, my dad was a big Beatles fan. Uh, he was, um, I'm going to totally date myself again here, but he had a, uh, some of their albums on vinyl. And, I mean, vinyl's uh, big now. Right? Vinyl's big now, yeah. And it was big then because, you know, there weren't any CDs back yeah. then. It yeah. was vinyl. I mean, I read an article this week about, you know, um, how CDs are obviously dwindling away. We all know that, but you know, um, it's all did. I mean, it's not even like even the digital like downloads mm. are fewer and far between. It's all streaming. It's all streaming. And vinyl yeah. is you know is it's really coming back. coming back, and vans are investing in that. I love that. I really hope vinyl makes a big comeback because there's so much warmth in the music when you listen to something in vinyl. I mean, you can, there's it's it's a night and day difference. If you have a good pay. Good pair of headphones, or you don't might not even need hair headphones. You I can you use a record you can, player. You don't need to. You just let it jam. Go, you just let it jam, <laughs> man. Like yeah. if you were to compare, you know, Penny Lane streaming to Penny Lane on vinyl, there's a night and day difference between the sound. Yeah. Right. One one sounds better in the sense that it's clearer, but the other one sounds better on vinyl because it has so much warmth associated with it. It's not like uh, I mean cold. Uh, I've never owned a record player, but you know where I listen to my most of my record, uh, my music. Um, I don't think they make a, a record player that goes on your hip for when you're running. You know, I think that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine that right now. Like you know, back when Sony had their Walkman thing, right? Uh -huh. So they had a Discman thing too. I think, right? Yeah, the yeah. Discman was big. Yep. And then there was a whole thing, well, how do you not make it skip? So everybody wanted like the anti-skip or skip-resistant yeah. technology built in. I know my first CD yeah. player mm -hmm. was like $99.95. It was, huh? It was made by a watch company. And if you breathed too heavy, it would skip. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you were moving, you have to hold it anything, right, yeah. the right way, and yeah, especially because I'd, I'd be biking or something, you know, and I'd have the disc man. I think probably hit, uh, attached to my hip or something like that while I'm biking. And yeah, I remember having a walkman attached to my hip while I'm biking. So <laughs> right. did a lot of biking as a kid. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you have to hold it the right way sometimes. Got to hold it the right way. You got to breathe just right. And the the mechanics of those things back then, you know, they were louder, and you could hear the. The mechanisms, you know, try to find the the right moment of where the skip occurred. So you can hear the engines going, and then, you know, after about 30 seconds, the music plays again. 
yeah. Penny Lane. Yeah, da, 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 da. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it like, takes forever. And now there's so much buffering or whatever. You, even if it skips, you won't know because it's all cached. Right. right. So, um, well, Penny Lane, you want to... Yes. Uh, I thought you said you were going to do our little, um, you know, solo. Oh, Good no, little intro of Penny Lane. That's not no? happening. No. No. I heard the, uh, you know, through the grapevine, there was a fictional character in one of your favorite movies named Penny Lane, and you had a mad crush on her. You did, yes. Yeah. Uh, almost famous. Almost famous. Yeah. She was hot. Yeah, yeah. Is there those glasses? Great movie, and. Yeah. Oh, babe. I need to go back and watch that again. I've said that for a long time, but that's, it's like my, yeah, that is like one of my favorite movies, but it's not one I need to, you know, obsess over and watch all the time, but it has been too long since I've seen it before. Mm. I mean, since I've seen it last, you know, yeah, so. Yeah. The Beatles are awesome. So going back to what you said yeah. before, I mean, I, uh, I remember listening to albums like Abbey Road and just hanging out in my dad's chair, uh, before he got home. Like I'd come home from school, um, because I was in like, I don't know sixth grade or something yeah. and then i would i would have a couple hours to kill you know before my dad got home so i'd listen to abbey road and just spin around in his chair because he had one of those chairs that spin you know span around yeah. spun around is that right sure spun we'll go around. with it <laughs> <clears throat> and uh i would just listen to this album over and over again it's just so freaking awesome yeah so that so, so when people say hey are you a beatles fan i just it goes my mind goes way back, see, yeah. See, to you that have time. that. A, a lot of people have that, I, and have their parents that grew up with good music taste. My parents did not have good music taste. Uh -oh. I don't even know what my dad liked or listened to. I know my mom like listened to, you know, some whatever junk was on the radio and country and that sort of thing. And so I got started off on the bad on a bad foot with with music because I didn't have that influence. And that's one of the cool things about talking to a lot of these musicians is like, and asking them where they got started, uh, you know, and kind of their first time picking up the guitar, which, you know, I'll talk about, talk to uh, JD Simo about in just a second, you know, and you know, when he picked up the guitar when he was five years old and I'm just like, God, you know, I kind of wish I had that influence from, from the beginning and I didn't. Yeah. You know what? Two things for me. One, I never had the influence for that. Two, I just, I'm sorry, I just wasn't born with the talent. Like, I have no, oh, yeah, no I don't. skills at all no. for anything that has to do with rhythm or coordination or, you know, I don't the have ability to produce any sort of music. Yeah, and... I mean, my, my passion for live shows really came from my rebelling from my with my my mother really because she didn't want me to go to concerts and she took steps to prevent me from going to concerts, including making me sell tickets that I had won on radio, the radio station or whatever, you know, like uh, and not letting me go like to see Red Hot Chili Peppers at the Fillmore and things like that, right? Like, so what you're saying, Steve, is that we can take a moment right now, we can pause. And thank your mom, because if it wasn't for her, this podcast wouldn't exist. Right, yes. This entire podcast is symbolic of your, your rebelling against your mom. Pretty much, yeah, yes, exactly. Cool. I, I showed her, didn't I? You did. <laughs> I you got this episode 183 or something. I know. All right, mom, I've shown you at least 183 times now. Right, yeah, exactly. So I think she gets I like it now. She can't stop me anymore. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where that came from. But I didn't have any positive influence with music growing up. And it took, took really starting a TV sh music TV shows and to start one with, you know, my friends Joe and Chris to really kind of develop my music taste. So that is late in the game. And I had to play a lot of catch up, which I think I've been doing pretty well at mm. this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, 
but that was, you know, the last 15 years, I mean, a lot of people have their whole life. I've had mm. about 15 years of, you know, really getting into and, uh, you know, developing my music taste and everything. So, yeah. 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 Well, let's carry on. Um, we have another interview, like I said, so it's a jam packed show, Jens. No time to waste. We're going to bring uh, Simo on the the podcast. And again, this is JD Simo, uh, his band. He um, he's uh, he's great. He's a couple years younger than me, uh, and but just so much you know rhythm and passion and you know and music in his fingertips. Like his, him with the guitar, I was like I was sold just listening to some of their music. And when I you know I heard they were going to be playing at the Blue Note in Napa. You know, I was like, that'll be, that'll be fun, you know, Wednesday night, I think it was that, uh, that, uh, that we went and, um, and so I chatted with him before the, the show and this is, you're going to hear the result of it, but not before we, we play a song. I mean, they, their set was really great. So it's hard for me to just play two songs, but since this is so packed, we're going to do that. We're going to play one now and close the show out with a, another song. Um, but this song we're going to start with Jens is, is a cover and it's, with a little help from my friends. Oh. Yes. Fantastic segue. Look at that. Yeah. So here it is. Hey there. This is JD from the band Simo, and you're listening to Concert Pipeline.
I am here backstage with JD uh, at the Blue Note. Yes. Yes. And uh, good to be here. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And just before we started, you're listening to some pretty funky stuff. Or not Coleman, you said yes. it was. So. Yeah, no. Um I mean we listen to different stuff all the time, but um uh we tend to um we tend to listen to, uh, and when I say we, me and the, my, my bandmates, uh, yeah. we tend to listen to mostly um, really old jazz or, or really old blues, like from the 40s and 50s and stuff like that. That seems to be the most frequent in rotation, um, you know? And also, it's kind of good because I'm really susceptible to when I listen to something. Yeah. It'll end up coming, like I'll end up, it'll get in my... In my uh, subconscious if you will and it'll end up coming out and for some reason like um if i listen to anything that's that's fairly modern or something like that it'll be more apparent whereas if i listen to um like i'm saying if i listen to 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 jazz uh from any era or if i or or if i listen to old old blues you know i seem to always be kind of equal palette yeah. For some reason. So how do you how do you find music like that? Where where do you go? I know you're a big you've called yourself a Spotify junkie. Isn't I am. It? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, most of it comes from just. I think it's common with most musicians, um, at least you know of a certain ilk, um, where there's a studiousness that is kind of half of the equation. Um, I know. Like, for example, like this past weekend, we were talking, oh, I played with uh, Phil Lesh and friends, and yeah. the other gentleman in that ensemble, it was myself, and it was John Medeski from Medeski, Martin, and Wood, and, and my good friend Luther Dickinson from uh, the North Mississippi All-Stars, and, and, and Phil, of course, and, you know, the the sense of uh, kind of being a musicologist is is fairly common. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know, if you're a carpenter, you're you really study the art of carpentry or something you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. I, I and i think that um certainly with improvisational music um it's probably a little bit more so than maybe just a rock band or something um when there's a, a certain diligence to being a really great musician or, or striving to be there's certainly you know that's something that's very common so that so but to answer your question um at this point I mean, I've been like this since I was five, six years old, going to the Chicago Public Library. Yeah. And you said you, know, you rent out, like, check albums out and, like, yeah. Free and, music and, 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 and the thing that's beautiful about music, like literature, yeah. is if you like one thing, it'll lead you to many others. So if you like, for instance, like if, if you like, uh, if you like the Beatles say, then you're going to hear the Beatles talk about little Richard or talk about buddy Holly or talk about Elvis Presley or talk about Eddie Cochran or on and on and on. Okay. Um, and that's just a, a very kind of, you know, uh, 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 kind of obvious way in a lot of people, come to music through something through a portal like that and kind of the more um deep than the more obscure and sometimes the more esoteric or eccentric or whatever you know and so that's the beauty of music and that never ends that's that's something that's uh um, we played in Austin, Texas a week and a half ago, and I, I went and hung out with Jimmy Vaughn, um, who's a huge hero of mine. Um, and we were talking about Eddie Taylor, who was a famous Chicago blues player who's not that well known, but he's really important to the idiom as far as the people that he uh, influenced. Yeah. And, and Jimmy knew Eddie 
and we were talking about Eddie Taylor and I wanted to hear some stories and and Jimmy and I were talking about several other artists and you know Jimmy's nearly 70 years old and it's still that thing of getting turned on to to things he wasn't aware of that's the beauty of of it you know is that'll right. never change you know so you know now I'm sorry I'm kind of rambling no, but it's okay, but the um so I'm saying like a lot of it goes back years now for me and it's just a cumulative effect yeah. but as far as how I access new stuff now it's easier than ever because with YouTube and with Spotify, um, you can go down like a rabbit hole. You, you of, can completely yeah. go down a rabbit hole and it's yeah. all accessible. Whereas, you know, when I, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in my early thirties. I was born in 85. I assume we're probably fairly close in age. And uh, I got and, a couple years on you. Actually. You know, anyway, but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but anyway, my point being is yeah. that, uh, um, you know, when I was learning to play music in the early nineties, yeah. um, I still had to have the physical thing in front of me and it was, it took more effort. Now it takes no effort. I mean, it's like we're driving to the next town and you've got hours to just search and search and search. And, Oh, I've never, you know, maybe you might be familiar. I was listening to Ornette Coleman, that record in particular, I was just listening to, I'd never listened to, but it was in my list, you know? So, you know, it's, it's a beautiful time for that, you know? And so, uh, so Phil, you mentioned Phil Lesh. You played with him like last mm-hmm. week. So, how do you get to be in the Phil Lesh and friends group? Like, how are you in that? Well, uh, it was as simple as Luther Dickinson, who I mentioned. Is he and I become very dear friends? He moved to Nashville from his hometown in Memphis fairly recently with his family, and we actually met on Instagram. Uh, I'm a fan of his, um, going back many years and he was a fan of mine. And so we, we noticed that we were liking each other's Instagram posts. And so then I can't remember if I or he initially initiated the the private message, but we met on Instagram, exchanged numbers, became friends. Um, and then we recently collaborated on some stuff, um, that, one 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 thing we're probably I'm probably going to use on my next record, and then there's a, a bunch of other stuff that we ended up recording together that I think we're going to end up doing a side project together, um, that we're we're trying to find the time to 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 finish it. Um, but he Luther has been heavily involved with Phil Lesh for for you know gosh I mean probably more than a decade, and Phil. Um, wanted to book some shows yeah. and Luther recommended me and, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I got a call and, and, uh, you know, I'm not the, I'm not a, a diehard super fan of the Grateful Dead, right. but I am a fan and it was, you know, it was a, a great, it's, it's awesome, you know, and, and, and I felt very comfortable, uh, from note one, uh, because I, at, at my core, I'm an improviser. So it's, you know, it was like taking a duck to water. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, so how do you make time for like projects like that? Because one thing I know about you, I mean, you tour like a madman. I think it was two years ago you did like over 300 shows. In well, we were gone 300 days. We oh, did okay. 200 and I don't remember, 230 some, 240 some shows. shows. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never doing that <laughs> Nothing again, to by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never doing that again, by the way. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got some big changes coming too that'll kind of sure tie you down a That's little true. bit, right? So. That's true. Yeah. Um, but no, you just, um, you just schedule stuff. I mean, um, I'm, um, I've, 
it's taken a few years for me to have the relationships built to schedule stuff that is different um, than just playing with my group. And that's what I've always wanted. So, you know, it's, you just, as the situations come along, you just schedule it and hopefully everything schedules out well, you know, I mean, like it worked out perfect because we had already uh, committed to a week's worth of shows in the Southwest with our friends, Big Head Todd and the Monsters, who we've done a lot of touring with. Um, so it was great. So we were able to, you know, uh, the fill stuff landed right in the middle. And then there was some, you know, like I said, we've got, you know, we booked a show like tonight and some other like LA and, and some other shows on our own. And, uh, we just did a couple of shows with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band and, um, and then we're going to head home and I'm getting ready to do a duo, uh, some duo shows with my buddy, Joey Landreth, who I don't know if you're familiar with the brothers Landreth, but they're, Sounds they're right. absolutely ph- phenomenal. Yeah. And Joey and I become friends. So we're doing some duo shows together. Um, I just like, I love to play. So yeah. it's, you know, anything we can do, you know? Yeah. And so you picked up the guitar at age five, which, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so who, who gave you the guitar? Whose guitar was it? And, uh, it, my parents bought it for me. I wanted, there's no musicians in my family. Yeah. And, um, I just really, I, I saw Elvis Presley on television and yeah. I fell in love with music kind of through that, which is a great portal in because that's kind of, I fell in love with music through fifties rock and roll. So rock and roll to me was, was that it was Bill Haley. It was Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Elvis, Fats Domino, Carl Perkins, Eddie Cochran, uh, Gene Vincent, all that kind of stuff. And that's a really great way in because whether you go forward or backwards, it's kind of like, it's really fortunate because I really, my, my initial influences were very pure, you know, where did you find like Elvis on TV? Your parents had to kind of, he was on, it was on television. It was simple. It was like the anniversary of his death or something like that. And there was, they were replaying the 68 comeback special and, and I just was very taken um, like millions before me, you know, of that is just the coolest thing. And Scotty Moore, his guitar players on that. And I was very taken with him and, you know, very simple, very naive and youthful, you know, just cause you're a little kid. And so you don't really, you have no inhibition yet. So it's just like, I like this and yeah. it's like, you don't know why you just do it. You know? It connects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you started in bands at 15, but, but you also, you played. Oh no, it was much earlier than that. Was, I started okay. playing with other people when I was, you know, nine years old, oh, wow, eight, okay. nine years old playing yeah. in bars and stuff. Really? Mm-hmm. So your parents would take you to, to bars and let you just. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cause it was always about the music for me. Yeah. It was never about, um, you know, any of the other stuff I was, it was always highly, highly music, music geek. So, uh, um, and being exposed to, you know, the darker side of life from a very early age wasn't necessarily a bad thing for me because yeah. I saw the realities of it fairly quickly. So that also benefited me later when, you know, those temptations kind of come, um, you know, it was old hat to me, you know, I'd kind of seen by the time I was 15, I'd seen, you know, a lot. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, it was easier to, to refrain from certain things. Cause I'd already seen the destructiveness of it from a very early age. So, so playing in bars and, and everything at that young of an age, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a nine year old play in a, in a bar. So, <laughs> so I'm just like, do you, did you get like, there were, you respect at that point for, for getting up there and doing it or no, at that point you're basically kind of your novelty. 
And for me, I never wanted to like, for me, I wanted to become older as quickly as possible because for me, it was wanting to belong and to, you know, be the best musician I could be. I took it really serious. Yeah. And the novelty aspect of being young um, is, you know, I think a difficult thing to kind of rectify because you are a freak show, yeah. you know, until you reach a certain age at least. Um, but that's all internal and you're gaining experience um, every time that you're out playing music. So, you know, it's, again, it's a cumulative effect. So the sooner you start, hopefully the sooner you'll kind of get to a, a certain level of maturity, you know, which is a big part of being a musician, um, is getting to a place of maturity as, 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 as quickly as possible because other, because that's what kind of separates the truly great from the okay is a level of, uh, refinement, right. you know? Right. And so tell me about what being a, a session player for like country artists, <laughs> what that, what you learned from that, what kind of you gained from it? Cause I know that's not really your style. No, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'd learned a lot of, um, uh, really the, 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 the greatest thing was, uh, kind of, um, how shall I say it's, uh, being very, uh, being on time, being very efficient. Um, it's, you have to be so fast and so quick and so perfect, um, that you either sink or swim quickly. And that level of concentration is, um, is something that you can't like kind of unlearn. So, but, Mm-hmm. At the same time, I learned an awful lot about what I don't like. I learned equally as much of what I don't like or what I don't think is good from those experiences. So it's kind of a two-handed, you know, both hands wash the other thing with that experience. You know, I learned a lot about how to record, not necessarily the way that I would prefer to record, and how to be quick and how to be how to trust reflexes and stuff, but also, okay, I don't really like that. File that one away, that kind of thing. Yeah. So as you've gone in and have recorded different albums, tell me about how your approach has changed over the uh, the years that you've done it. I know. I mean, we'll talk about Rise sure. and Shine sure. separately, but just in general. Um, well, it's just the refinement process has continued, really, um, because everything that I've done that my name is on um, is uh, I try to make different from the one previous. Yeah. Um, for no other reason than. Um, I don't like repeating myself. I don't, I find it very, um, uninteresting, not fun. You know, I kind of crave a new environment, a new experience. Um, that's part of what brings me joy. So, um, but as far as anything specifically, I think that it's, there hasn't been that much that has changed only in the applications have been different. Yeah. You know, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about rise and shine a, a mm-hmm. little bit. That's your album that came out this past year. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's, my understanding is it's more personal to you. It was definitely from a writing yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Um, I really, uh, I'll say that like it's, as a writer, I was late coming 
to writing than I was being a singer or a guitarist. And so like anything, it's again, it's a cumulative thing that you have to do it so many times to kind of get to a place of comfort or not necessarily comfort, but just, you know, get to a, uh, find your footing, you know? And so as a writer, I had previously, it was kind of more character acting rather than uh, the really truly feeling the need to write some, write a particular thing because it was what I was experiencing. And so with rise and shine, it was just a different thing where I was finally kind of at a place where I felt comfortable, um, sharing certain things that maybe I wouldn't have in the, in the past lyric lyrically, you know, musically it's about the same because there's always just a musical idea that you like and yeah. you, you, you make into a piece, you know, but lyrically it's definitely, you know, certain things are very, very private and, um, you know, I just, you know, I felt comfortable finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that vulnerability uh, kind of took you to a place where you like the, you like the music more because I know you, I mean, you've kind of said some not po- so positive things about your music in the past, right? Like- well, I mean, it's, I think part of it, part of that is just that I'm a little nuts and that for me, it's always about trying to move forward. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, the people that I admire the most, which I'm in no way comparing myself to, but, you know, people like Bob Dylan and people like Miles Davis and stuff like, like, it was always set fire to the past so that you can go to a different place so that growth never stops. Um, and so that's very ingrained in, in me. Um, but I will say this, that I think that as far as being less derivative was a major achievement on rise and shine that I don't think had been accomplished yet. And I know that because I know personally when I'm referencing something, you know, I, as a musician know when I'm referencing something specifically and with rise and shine, I wasn't, I wasn't really accessing any of that. It was all pretty pure, you know, but you know, the beauty is now having done that now I'm free to move on to, you know, this next record that we're in the middle of making right now, that is a different, you know, it's a different, it, it, it's, it's completely different for rise and shine. Yeah. Know, so, so what can you tell me about the next record that you're, you're working on? Well, we've cut a ton of stuff over the last like 30 some odd tracks over the last six months. And we actually have a, a session booked when we get back from this tour, because I have to admit that having played with Phil has really influenced me in a really positive way. And there's a, a certain amount of the improvisational nature that is at the heart of me that I would like to document, if you will. Yeah. Um, that sort of psychedelic, um, you know, it's psychedelic rock and blues and jazz and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a bunch of material that I want to document. So we've cut a ton of stuff. I, I don't know what we're going to do with all of that. We may end up issuing it as a, as something that maybe we give away as a, as a streaming thing or something. Um, but at this point I feel 
pretty solid about what we're going to cut when we get back from this tour. And it's also really good because, you know, you get done with the tour and you're really tight and, you know, we're really inspired right now. So, so I think this next one's going to be much less refined than rise and shine. It's going to be more of three guys in a room again, very, uh, organic and, um, and uh, more focused on kind of the playing aspect and not as of a refined piece like Rise and Shine is, yeah. which everybody that I've been talking to is very into because pe- obviously the people that come to see us are, they're coming to see us play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you, I mean, you talk about Rise and Shine being very kind of, tight and everything right mm-hmm. so uh, you, uh on the song uh, meditation mm-hmm. you you did like 30 takes before you got it right is that yeah well that was that was it, and that and it wasn't necessarily um it was looking for a very specific groove yeah and any of those takes were fine but we finally hit the take that we used where the pocket was just right and you know we had the luxury of time because that was kind of the basis of this time we're going to camp out. We're going to spend multiple weeks. We're going to craft this. Um, and it was really fun. It was incredibly hard work. Yeah. Months and months of hard, hard work. But, you know, I learned a lot from that process. And, you know, uh, it's going to inform everything that's come after it. Because I've done it now. You know, I've done that really crafted. Every little thing is very intentional, you know. Yeah, so you don't feel that like everything needs that level of, you know, kind of going over and over again. I mean, like this, you said this. It wasn't, it, yeah, it yeah. was just that in that specific case, it was just because it was a very specific feel that we finally nailed the right feel. Do you feel yeah. the need to hit that feel like when you're playing it live? No, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. It was, um, with me, live is the opposite. Live is about capturing an authentic moment. At that moment, yeah, that can be faster, slower, looser, tighter, whatever is authentic in that moment, that is the correct thing for that t- for that you know piece. Um, in the studio, you're trying to capture a specific moment that is going to be listened to multiple times by somebody. So it's a different it's a different approach. And and again, meditation specifically yeah. was I was very conscientiously looking for a very specific thing. And so we just kept doing it until we got it, you know? Um, but yeah, live it's, there is absolutely no rule. It, it, it it can go anywhere. Improvisations can go anywhere within any song at any given time, if it feels right. Um, and that's something that we're really good at. Whereas every night is completely different, you know? Even if it's similar songs, it's, you know, because they can, they can go anywhere. And that's the fun part. Yeah. Uh, Well, a couple more questions before we wrap. Um, I want to hear about the, you played the 100th birthday for Les Paul. Oh, yeah. That was a couple years ago. Uh, Tell me about that. It was a friend of mine, um, uh, Greg Koch, who's a great guitar player from Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. um, was put in charge of, um, there was a big, concert in New York City for, for, for Les's 100th, and then there was a big one in Wauwatosa, uh, Wisconsin, which is where he was born, where he's from. And so, yeah, it was, it was an honor to get called um, to, part, to participate. It was a, a big bill of lots of different players, 
And uh, it was pretty funny because my, my friend Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick was there. And yeah. Rick and I are buddies, and we both like vintage instruments and stuff like that. So my lasting memory of that was just sitting backstage and talking about and looking at photos on his iPad of different vintage guitars and stuff like that and oh, talking about friends we have in that world. And But it was, it was, a, it was a blast. And, and, you know, I never really thought... Um, Never really thought I'd be on stage playing uh, uh, "Surrender" with uh, with Rick Niels. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, or I want you to want me. You know all that stuff. It was, it was pretty surreal, fun. Right? It like, was pretty fun. Yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And so to, to wind out, so we're uh, we're at the Blue Note here, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm I'm from Napa, but you know a lot about more about this venue than I do, and it just just came here like last year or something. Yeah, no, this one is one of the newest ones, but yeah, the yeah. Blue Note is 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 a historic venue, uh, you know, jazz venue, uh, New York, London. Yeah. Um, uh, they have their 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 venue in Japan and Tokyo, and uh, it's it's an honor for us because every once in a while we'll play um, a listening room that is jazz oriented, yeah. and it it really suits what it is that we do really well because there's a lot of that influence in what we do because of like um, the mentality. I don't really necessarily view myself as a jazz musician. There's jazz things that are part of how I play, but it's the, it's the method where you have a head and then you have an improvisation that to me, I like when it's completely open-ended and there is no cue back in and the musicians involved find their way. Mm -hmm. And obviously in rock music, you have bands like the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers Band and the Mahavishnu Orchestra and, and, uh, um, things in that vein, Frank Zappa to a certain extent, you know, that uh, use that as a framework. And that's definitely, all of that is influential to us, but the jazz um, aesthetic of, of uh, you know, it never being the same and, you know, you have your technique that you've worked diligently on. And then when you get on stage, you're free. You know, that's it's it's an honor to be in this room. You know, yeah. so you've played other blue notes as well. No, this is our first one. Oh, really? And okay. uh, the 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 you know, obviously it's one big family, and yeah. so we're looking forward to playing the other ones too. Um, but it just worked out because we're coming through, and it's great. I'm excited. You know, it's it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's an exciting thing because the people that come to a venue like this are coming intently to listen, and and it's all fun. I mean, I love playing a big rock show. I love. You know, it's it's all fun, but it's it's. I'm looking forward because you know an audience coming to a venue like this are coming to to in, in, you know to to really focus. And if there's um, if there's uh, bits of a, of a, of a of a monk song or 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 or, or a, a nod to uh, to a Coltrane melody or something that's thrown into an improvisation somewhere, they're going to catch it, you yeah. know, and that's that's cool. So I'll definitely be having fun with that tonight. Yeah. And have you been to Napa before? I haven't actually. This is I've been all around here. Yeah. Um, been to the, through the Bay Area, played the Bay Area many times, but never actually been here. So this is great. Yeah. And tomorrow's a day off, so. Um, we do have to um, get, get on our way up to Oregon um, to play the day after tomorrow, but I am looking forward to you know, getting up in the... I think Luke, uh, who, uh, who's a bass player in our group, he's going to get up and go biking through Napa. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, Where have you played in the Bay Area? Um, well, let's see. We, we did... 
um, the first time through, we played the DNA Lounge, which was really fun, and that was a great show. And then the second time through, we played at um, um, the the Warfield um, uh, opening for Big Head Todd, and that was a huge honor for me um, because a big hero of mine um, is a gentleman named Mike Bloomfield, who was a guitar player back in the 60s who lived in Mill Valley, who's from Chicago like me, but Mm -hmm. he's lived for 20 years in Mill Valley, and... uh, that was the last place he ever played oh, and wow. uh, with Bob Dylan. And uh, it was, it was an honor to, to stand on the spot where my hero last played. And uh, the venue manager was actually there that night. And so I was actually able to talk to him about it. And it was pretty hip. And, uh, and then um, I'm forgetting there was one other time that we came through San Francisco. Oh no, we played Santa Cruz that time. We played right. the catalyst, catalyst yeah. in San, in Santa Cruz. Um, but um, and then yeah, and then the, this last time with Phil at Terrapin, so yeah, just a couple times, a few times, but all great experiences. Hey. So very cool, JD. Thank you for taking the. Thank the you time for taking today. the time. Yeah, looking forward to the show tonight. Thank you, looking forward to it as well. That was the interview with Simo here on Concert Pipeline. Uh, like I said, such a fun show, and uh, I got out to it with uh, my girlfriend Tracy. We had a fun night uh, and enjoyed some good music in downtown Napa, Jens. Sweet. Sounds like a good time. It was. It was indeed. So, And uh, a great conversation as well. So, Jens, it's time to get to our last segment. We have no time to waste. What, what segment is that? Music News. One of my favorite segments. That's right. All right. Uh, so we've got a couple of stories. Uh, we're keeping it kind of thin since we had two guests on the program today. Uh, first story up is uh, regarding a band I just saw like a couple weeks ago um, and was hanging out backstage and everything. And um, and so want to hit this. This is And that is Blink-182. Um, they're postponing some shows due to Travis Barker's uh, blood uh, clots that he has. So... Um, and, uh, and my friend John is actually with him this, I mean, with the band this past week and actually, yeah, cause he's friends with Mark and, mm. uh, from Blink-22. So they hang and he went to Vegas to see him, um, cause they have this residency in Vegas, uh, that they're doing, playing a bunch of shows there. And, um, and he posted some videos from on, on stage and everything. It just, it was really fun. It was cool of him to bring me into that for their most recent Bay Area show too. That's neat. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so they postponed some of their Las Vegas residency shows this past weekend after Travis Barker was diagnosed with blood clots in both of his arms. Kind of needs his arms, Jens. Yeah, bud, bud. Blood clots are bad. Those are bad. Yeah, you definitely want to get rid of those. Yeah, he, you know, he's, he beats on those drums like nobody's business. And So I don't know anything about how they develop is it literally because he's like beating his drums too much i don't know anything about that or is it like a diet exercise thing you're, you're at, talking to me like i'm your doctor Jens, yeah. and this is this has got to end this doctor patient i don't know i'm just kind of talking on talking out loud <laughs> you know sort of talking to myself right yeah i don't know but I, all i know is that they're bad 
Yes, yes. Got to deal with that shit. They are. And so they wrote in part via Twitter image, friends, Travis Barker is suffering from blood clots in both arms and unfortunately cannot perform until cleared to do so by his medical time. And then he said, uh, drumming is my life and it kills me that I can't perform it uh, for you guys this weekend. I hope to be back as soon as I can. So uh, thinking good thoughts for Travis. Uh, Like I said, I didn't get a chance to meet him at the show John's really friends with Mark, and they all have separate dressing rooms, mm. which I think is really interesting. Um, and John's hung out with Mark a lot, but he's never had the other members of the band come into the dressing room until the time where I was with him. And Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio came in, you know, uh, who's in Blink right, right now, and he came in when uh, John had given some pins to Mark uh, and one to give to, you know, to Matt, and he called Matt in. So, uh, but. I guess I never met Mark. We walked we walk past Mark in the, the hallway after the show. Uh, but uh, not Mark. I mean, ta- uh, Travis. Ow. That beer is... <laughs> Maybe he goes by Mark. You don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. He might be totally like, oh, my God, yeah, Steve, he called me Mark. That's awesome. I didn't know he knew my, you know. I don't think he's sitting around listening to... No, you don't think so? Now. Well, he might be totally flattered because only his, like, true fans call him that. Carry a gun. <laughs> good thoughts. Good thoughts to Travis. Uh, Jens, what do you got for us? Yeah, well, Travis, I wish you all the best, man. Um, well, there is no concert pipeline podcast that is complete without mentioning the Foo Fighters. I mean, we pretty much de- are dedicated to the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, right, right. And we want to it's... apologize in case there has been an episode where we haven't mentioned or hinted to or alluded at the Foo Fighters. We apologize. Yes. And please let us know if that has uh, happened. We will go back and re-edit the show to, uh, to include such yeah. no- notifications. We'll even do like a, a dub, an overdub or... In or music news today, or. Dave Grohl sneezed. <laughs> <laughs> on to our next story. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so uh, Foo Fighters. They were recently joined by Axel and Slash yeah. and Duff uh, for a performance of the 1987, get this, the 1987 Guns N' Roses classic, It's So Easy. And this occurred uh, during the Foo Fighters headlining show in Italy, specifically in the city of Florence at the Florence Rocks Festival. Um, Wow, that was like... June 14th, that just happened. Just happened, just happened, okay. So, so let's let's hear a little bit of this, uh, if we can. And uh, Because that's really cool, to, you know, those two bands kind of getting together. And I know, I, you know, especially in... I don't know if this, will, sound, this will probably sound really bad. Okay, that sounds horrible. I, I understand <laughs> nothing, but it sounds like everyone's having an, an awesome time. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah, I hear some up. drums, so Dave's there, right? Even though this picture is showing him playing it's, a t- guitar, so yeah, maybe he's not on the drums. Yeah, probably not, not on drums, no. So, and Axel's got the mic, of course, and his legendary bandana. Right, yep. And, um, and this is cool. I mean, it's not that common that two powerhouses come together like this to play... 
something. Yeah, and we know Dave's cool with with Axel and everything because Dave had given his throne right. to Axel after he, you know, he is it. He broke he, his leg or whatever it yeah, was, right? He, he passed it on to to Axel to use next afterwards. So. That's right. I had forgotten about that. I know we had mentioned that a couple of times, but this so this story is especially applicable because of the passing of the torch of the. Uh, uh, the throne, the throne yeah. from Dave to Axel because of injuries. Yeah. And what happened to Dave again? He fell off the stage or he broke he his... fell off the stage? We talked about this last week. I know, I know. Like, this was I on the music remember news. yesterday. This was on the music news last week where he could say recreated it, right? With the stump double. Do you remember this? Right, now I remember. Is this yeah. ringing a bell? Yep, yep, yep. Do you yep, need yep. to go back and listen to last no. week's episode? Okay. Yeah, I do. You do. But anyway, I've got, I've got a cheat sheet. So he... Broke his leg uh, June 15th in Sweden. Don't ever go to Sweden. It's like a really... Sweden is a violent place. So okay. do not go to Sweden because you will break your leg, especially if you're on stage. I'll stay away. I don't leave the country ever, so... Yeah, don't uh, do that. So if I were to, I will mark it off over the there. Yeah. 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 Vikings. Right. So anyway... Wow. <laughs> so anyway, just to recap real quick, uh, he uh, so he broke his leg. He built this you know, thrown, and then he eventually loaned it to uh, Axel, um, who broke his foot um, <laughs> a year later, I guess. So anyway, I, I just, I'm dying to see who gets the throne next. Like, yeah. who's the next? Who will carry the on the throne, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I don't know, we'll have to see. I'm sure it's not gone. No, it'll, it'll come back. Yes. We'll see. All right, we've got one more story here before we wind up the podcast, and that is about corn. Uh, and you know, Jens, a lot can be said about corn. A lot can be said about corn. I remember the day I came home. No, wait a minute. You noticed this, right? I, I was the one who noticed I it. was, I was home. You yeah. came over. Yeah. We went outside into the backyard. Um, and the backyard at this time was under a massive transition. I'm not going to make the story long, but okay, when my wife you. and I bought this house, <laughs> oh my gosh, we had a massive, we got sticker shock so badly, we decided to cut back on all of our expenses, which included watering the lawn. Yeah. So we didn't, we cut off the sprinklers for about two weeks until we kind of adjusted to the expenses. Uh-huh. And in that time, everything died. All the plants died, the grass died. So we, we ripped everything out. And uh, so the whole backyard was nothing but like a dirt field, all right? And right. This was like this for at least a year or two. And then you came over, and I literally hadn't even been outside or really looked outside at all. And you came over, and you're like, there's a corn husk in your backyard. Are you going some corn, dude? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about, corn husk? And I'm looking, and yeah, it's like, it's like two to three feet high. I mean, this thing has been growing. It was growing. bigger than it's two bigger feet, than... man. Yeah, it was taller than your Four wife, feet. that's for sure. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so it must have been at least five feet tall. Right, yeah, it was, it was tall. It was like, it didn't show up yesterday. It didn't show up yesterday unless somebody broke into the backyard and planted it, right? I mean, if any normal homeowner would have been paying attention, they would have probably said a month ago, oh, I think we have a little corn growing in our yard. <laughs> but this is like the stealth corn thing. And this isn't where you have 10 acres or anything on the property. Or I know. It's know. not a huge backyard. It's a tiny little backyard. And it's, it's a good size backyard. It's, 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 a, it's a normal functioning backyard. It's a normal functioning backyard. Yes. <laughs> With nothing except dirt and this five-foot corn thing. <laughs> husk. Yes, which you or your wife had not noticed apparently. So yeah, I feel bad. I think yes. I just went. 
I think it, did we pull it out or did I, it rot? I wasn't there for the that, that fun, mm. but but we're not talking about that, Jens. We're talking about the band corn. We're talking about the band corn. Sorry, that total off topic. Who have you know the songs coming undone? Fun. Freak on a leash. Here's a little bit of freak freak on a leash. Are you familiar with corn, Jens? No. Corn with a K, right? Corn with oh, a K. Oh yeah. So if I skip ahead a little bit. Okay, that's corn. Um, and so the, the story here is not about your husk in the backyard, but that corn is going to skip dumb songs uh, at the Follow the Leader anniversary so- uh, shows that they're doing. So. Um, uh, frontman of Korn, Jonathan Davis, has struck down speculation that the band would be playing their full Follow the Leader album during their three special anniversary shows later this year. Uh, and they're going to be playing some West Coast 20th anniversary shows in September to celebrate their third studio effort. Um, they're playing in the Bay Area, actually, including the Masonic in San Francisco. Um, and, um, and, so, and a couple of other shows as well. I guess there was, there was speculation that they would play that album in full, but Davis said in a new interview uh, that he'll be skipping a couple of the tracks. He said, we're not going to do it in its entirety. There are a couple of songs that are just dumb, he laughed, uh, <laughs> that we don't want to play. Uh, we were really drunk when we made them, but we're going to play the majority of the record. I love it. He's like, nah, nah, good luck. Yeah, you, you may like that shit. We don't. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Honesty, you know? It's yeah, it's a, good to recognize, you know. Not everything's gold. Not everything's, yeah, not everything's fantastic. I mean, I I don't know what it's really like to be in that world. I can imagine that bands might find themselves with a couple of fabulous, you know, tracks that they are just so happy with, but they've got to fill the rest of it up. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, God, we need seven more songs. What right. the hell are we going to do? So they just come up with whatever. And it might seem like a good idea at the time, and then looking back on it, it's just not their like, their yeah, favorite that they've right. done. And, and so they're like, eh, do we do we do this whole thing to celebrate it, or do we just make we'll make an effort? We'll we'll put mm. the ones that we like out there, and we'll give you some other stuff as well. And it sounds like that's what they're gonna do. So, yeah, it's uh that's cool. That's good insight. Yeah, yeah. So it's fun times. Good job, Corn, on uh, keeping it real, right? Like, I wonder how bad it was. I wonder if they were like. Do you guys even remember recording this? I don't know. How drunk were we? <laughs> I guess you can check the set list afterwards and find out the songs that they were not a fan of. Uh, right. You know, uh, after the fact. Or maybe you already can kind of sense it if you're a big Corn fan. But, yeah. Well, that's our show, Jens. Uh, yeah, so a couple of good artists on the, uh, the podcast. Um, thank you to both of them for taking the time to chat. Uh, so next week on the podcast... Uh, we will have an interview uh, with Los Kung Fu Monkeys, actually, is, is what I have lined up as of right now. It's not 100% solidified, but they're opening up for the Mighty Mighty Boston's 
uh, which lead singer Money Money Boss Tones is you know uh, the band leader on uh, Jimmy Kimmel or the host. He's the he's the uh, not the host. He's the MC for Jimmy Kimmel Live, and uh, and they played in their big single was Impression That I Get. And so middle of next week I uh, have have that interview lined up. They're playing at the Fillmore, um, so that'll probably happen. So it might be a week or two before you get another episode out. Um, also have an uh, interview with an artist called Essence. That's her name is Essence, her birth name. And the E is lowercase because uh, her parents are like flower children. Everything else is uppercase? No, no, no. It's all lowercase. Oh. So they're just everything's hippie, lowercase. Oh. hippie-ish. And, uh, and her first and last name are all lowercase. Like that's it. That's how her name is. But is that like uh, consistent among all hippies, or was it? I don't was think that just sort of their thing. I think that was probably their thing. But oh. uh, but we're going to. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get the chance to talk to her a little later next week as well. And um, she did a show this past week that I wasn't able to go to. Unfortunately, is a good cause, um, which we'll get into that a little bit more in that interview. Uh, but that's uh, that's what we got coming up. So Jens, for all of us here at Cutter Pipeline. That's Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. We're going to play you out with one more song from Simo. Uh, for, uh, they're from their set at the Blue Note. This is a song called Meditation. Here it is. Mm-hmm.